Well, it is my joy to introduce a guest we have who will be preaching with us today, who's really no stranger to Mission Road Bible Church. Dr. Rick Gertson uh, pastored in Hutchinson for about 20 years, two decades, and is now serving at Shades Mountain Community Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And Rick and I go way back. Uh, actually, we go back to August of 1988. We both showed up at an orientation together, sat near each other at uh, the beginning of the Master's Seminary when we were uh, students and um, became instant friends. Uh, Master's was pretty small back then. Uh, the first two years, I, I just remember we endured the literal, physical building building of the seminary where we couldn't hear lectures sometimes because jackhammers and walls were coming down and walls were being built. We learned our theology sitting next to each other. We also worked together in student ministries alongside each other out there as well. Rick was someone I was immediately drawn to when I went to that orientation. Uh, we had many common passions, hunting, baseball, college football, theology, and food. In fact, there may or may not have been classes skipped on opening day of the Dodgers season, but I'm going to leave that to your imagination. Um, but the thing that made Rick's little apartment really the hub for my friends and me, where we hung out, was the sweetness and hospitality of his wife, Chris Gertzen. We would go and she would feed us until we could eat no more. And her hospitality was epic from just the first years of their very marriage when we began to hang out together. In fact, it was, I don't know if you remember this, most of us were single guys coming over and hanging out and letting your wife feed us like at King's. Those were great days. Well, as most of you are aware, Chris, his dear wife, suffered the ravages of ALS for the past two years. And God used that terrible disease to bring her home to heaven just a few weeks ago. I loved hearing Chris over the last 24 months talk about ALS as her chariot to heaven. Rick, your love and care for your wife as she prepared for eternity was an example and a ministry to me and to so many others. In fact, Sarah, are you here at this service? Is Sarah here? Hey, Sarah, thank you for loving your mom and your dad in those last, uh, those last months and years. You were a tremendous example to all of us. We're very well aware of the sacrifices that you made and the love that you had for your parents. Um, Rick's on a little bit of a, a, a reprieve that they gave him to, to say, take a few weeks uh, for uh, just kind of to push reset. And he came up to Kansas City because uh, night before last, uh, he, his daughter Beth gave birth to twins, twin boys, which were, are you ready for this? Not his sixth and seventh grandchildren, but his sixth and seventh grandsons. They're all boys. So um, there's still room. I've got my first. So we're excited about that. So very excited. I know you are to hear, be here with Jacob and Beth and uh, to experience those little ones as well. So when I heard that Rick was going to be in Kansas City, I immediately said, I know you're on a little reprieve and vacation, but would you preach? And he graciously and gladly uh, said that he would. I, I, um, Kim and I went down to the memorial for Chris, and Rick wrote me a very gracious note that really kind of is something I want to turn around on him if I can uh, he said to a most faithful friend, as I think back to the big moments for the Gertsons, graduation, weddings, church changes, and now death, there you have been, which is really kind of him to say about me. But when I look back at my life, outside of my wife, the most significant decision that God led me to was to be the pastor here at this church. And all of that goes back to a phone call I had and a relationship I had with Rick Gertson. He knew that I was looking to transition from being an associate to a senior pastor. He was only one of a few people, very, very small on one hand. I could count them. Set of friends who I said, will you pray with me and think with me about this? And he said, yeah, but would you, would you consider going where my dad is retiring at Mission Road Bible Church in Kansas City? 
So his dad, Rod, was the previous pastor here, for those of you who weren't aware of that. So Kim and I came and immediately fell in love with, with his church, and the Lord graciously uh, enlivened, enriched our lives, rather, uh, beyond description because of um, my relationship with Rick being introduced to this church. I also love the fact that Rick's dad went to retire in Hampton and has been a pastor and the church has tripled and he's moving faster than he ever has before. So if that's retirement, sign me up. I'm, I'm very impressed with that. But we're so, so blessed to have Rick, who is still fresh with the loss of Chris, but fresh, when you talk to him, fresh with joy at placing her hand that held his into the hands of the Lord Jesus. Would you please give a warm Mission Road welcome to Dr. Rick Gertson. Well, thank you. It's a joy to be here and be a part of the church at, uh, I don't know, when's the last time I was here? At least seven or eight years ago, probably. No, no, it's, no, it's uh, just a joy to be back. Of course, after we left and went to Alabama a few years ago, uh, it's uh, obviously the distance makes it a little bit more difficult, but boy, it's a joy to be back and good to be here. Of course, um, my dear friend Rick and and Kim and I go back. I remember spending a lot of times in the, they called it the youth pit at uh, Grace Community Church. And uh, not all ministries, student ministries, considered that way, but it was there. No, I'm just kidding. It was a downstairs place where we all went and met and had a great time of fellowship and enjoyed our seminary with Rick. And just the, the way the relationship has continued and moved forward. And I'm excited see about what's going on with this church. Every time I come, it looks different. Uh, maybe a little bit the same outside, but inside, just by God's grace and movement upon the body and the people here, things and changes have to take place to accommodate those who want and love God's Word. And I'm excited that you're here, not just Rick, but your entire staff. I've listened to a few other sermons by some guys on staff, and actually, when the whole ALS thing started, I called Rick and said, I may need to, to lean on some of your staff, if that's okay, and and to have them come down, it didn't work out that way, but just so impressed by the giftedness of the communication of God's Word that you guys receive week in and week out. And my only encouragement would be is don't waste it. That's a, that's a real privilege. If you would, take your Bibles and join me in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 is our text for today. You know, this week I, I saw that uh, on the show Jeopardy! Uh, everybody was talking about the fact that they asked a, an answer and nobody had the question, and that was simply, Our Father which art in heaven, blank be your name. And there was no answer. The three contestants had no answer for that question. And everybody was just going on and on about how, how can people not, in our Christianized society and church society, how can not one of three people know what the answer is. No one knew the answer. It's kind of shocking, if you will. I don't know about you, <coughs> but all my life, of course, I grew up in the church, but even going to school and things like that, ball teams, we'd quote the Lord's Prayer before we played ball. I never really understood the connection, but we kind of did that and so forth. So everybody kind of had a knowledge of that, or you would think they did, but obviously uh, the smart people on Jeopardy did not. It's interesting. Well, the Lord's Prayer is the most often quoted prayer, and it's very familiar. It's the prayer in which the disciples received after they asked Jesus, and Luke, teach us to pray. And it's the prayer that we have in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says quite simply in verse 9, pray then this way. In fact, if you would, follow along as I read in verse 8 and following. So then do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Familiar prayer to us. The prayer begins quite simply and starts with a third person. We're praying your name and your kingdom and your will. It then moves to the second person, 
Give us, forgive us, and lead us. Just kind of notice those three things and those two movements. Your name, your king, your will, and then it turns to give us, forgive us, and lead us. Glorify His name. Getting in the right frame right, frame mind when we start, we, we, we begin with pray then this way, our Father who is in heaven. Our Father in heaven is a preparation. We set our minds right. There's a preparation in our prayer, a, a self-evaluation, a denial of self, and an acceptance of direction. And to get in that right frame of mind as we pray, <coughs> we're not simply going to pray in such a way that we're demanding of God. We're going to God, recognizing who He is. First of all, we recognize He's in heaven. We are lifting my, our heart above the world, and we are approaching the throne of grace. We're not wandering in somebody's office or living room to have a chat. We're going before our Heavenly Father in heaven and the throne of grace. Our Father who is in heaven, holy or hallowed, or hallowed, if you grew up in the King James Version, is your name. Why? Well, holy and name are, are quite simply just pregnant with theology and implications. We think about the holiness of God. We, we begin to move through that very essence of God and everything, all the attributes that have come from that. We think about the names of God. <coughs> Those names describe His character and how He operates within His holy nature. And as we attempt then to, to understand this holy name, we, we begin to narrow the scope of how these implications of theology and character of God begin to relate to my prayer. The glory of God's kingdom follows. Not only do we have our Father who is in heaven, but we have a kingdom. Our Lord's prayer, we, we pray in such a way that your kingdom come. It's a petition. It's a vertical petition. And it helps us in our own mind on the priority of God's eternity rather than man's transitory nature. God's kingdom. Well, we, we all want heaven. We look forward to that day. We, we sang about it. My own heart is elated with the possibility of going to heaven and seeing God. <coughs> we all want heaven. We don't necessarily want it today, but we all want heaven. And what is this prayer, your kingdom come? Well, it helps us understand who He is and how He operates and the eternal nature of the God that our priority of life is not just me and my things and my little circles, but rather that I'm serving something better and bigger. And it also sets us up for the next one. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So we are to be subject to God's kingdom. It's His kingdom, therefore it's His will. He's our Father. He's in heaven. We approach the throne. We recognize the kingdom, and we serve that kingdom. We often view prayer. <coughs> excuse me. We often view prayer as a means to get, or a means to lay or cast our burdens, and it's, it is some of those things. But we are finding, as we read through and understand the Lord's prayer, we find that. Prayer is actually rather a means to become. I am praying to God, and yes, I do have my cares, and I do have my things, but I am praying to God so I might become like Christ. If I desire to be like Christ, I pray as Christ has laid out in this prayer. I pray to our Father as Christ prayed to His Father. I acknowledge His holy name as Jesus taught us Help us recognize. I desire His kingdom. The setting of my mind in the turning from the temporal world mindset, I ask my Father in heaven for a perspective of an eternal kingdom of heaven. Yes, the first part of the prayer is focusing on praying a prayer, rather, that begins with petitions to change my focus heavenward. When I go to pray, I spend some time 
praying and asking God to change my focus. I, I have been living and breathing and operating on this level, and now I'm, I'm changing and operating on this level. In harmony with the fact that according to the Old Testament and the New Testament, the glory of God is important above everything else, these first three petitions have referenced the Father's name, the Father's kingdom, and the Father's will. You might say that's all well and good. And in the light of all that, and underneath the sovereignty of His kingdom, I have some needs. And that's where the, the prayer turns, right? Second person to third person, or third person to second. We understand here that the human needs are there, and what are they? I need bread, I need pardon for sin, and I need victory over the evil one. And those things are there, they're true, but they take second place. The petitions are of reference to, first of all, God's name and God's reign and God's will. Secondly, they are our bread, our sins or debts, and our foe. William Hendrickson says it this way, the comprehensive nature of these petitions appear from the fact that they bear reference not only to God's glory, verse uh, petitions 1 through 3, but also our needs, petitions 4 through 6. Not only our physical need, but our spiritual needs in petition 5 and 6. Not only our present need, petition 4, give us this day our daily bread, but our future need, petition 6. Finally, in this prayer, the worshiper carries to the throne of grace the burdens that are not only his, but also his brothers and his sisters. I got to tell you, indeed, this is the perfect pattern for our prayers. It really is. The first petition, hallowed be your name. The second petition, your kingdom come. The third petition implies by the first or second petition, your will be done. It's a means to serve His kingdom. I want to focus today on the fourth petition, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. I'll take the balance of our time this morning and look at it. This daily provision, this day and this provision. But even closer, I want to spend our time at the daily provider. I want to do this in two simple movements or ways. I love the Puritans. They work you through the exegesis. They work you through the doctrine of the exegesis. And then they work you through the application. I, by nature, am one who likes to just jump to the bottom line. Just give me the, give me the application. No, I, I trust you. Just tell me the application. But... This process makes you work through the exegesis and the doctrine and then get to the application which is grounded in and found in the doctrine. Some of you are different. Some of you are like, just let me mind understand or wrap my mind around this and maybe never apply it. <laughs> maybe you just kind of get your mind in, in the weeds and you understand it all, but it never really fleshes out in your life. Well, you need that same discipline of the Puritans in that way. Let's look at the greatness of the petition of the daily provision of God. <coughs> Excuse me. First, the doctrine of God the giver. God the giver. God is a giver who is free and gracious in that gift. First of all, we need to understand that God is a giver in a very common mercy we enjoy, just like everybody. We got rain today. That's a mercy. We had sun yesterday. That's a mercy. We have all these things in our life that are very common with everybody else and a common mercy we enjoy. We enjoy that because the earth is God's. Psalm 24.1, David writes, The earth is the Lord's, all in it, the world and those who dwell in it. It's all God's. We know that. It's God's earth. It's God's creation. He's the one who sustains it. It's God's. God is if you will, the great landlord. We lease it from him. <coughs> we understand that. If you've ever had a mortgage, we know that. We call it our house. We do that. But you can't replace the roof unless the mortgage company says it's okay. There's a lot of things that you have to go to the mortgage company and ask. And whereas your name's in the title, so's theirs. You know, this is God's earth, and we're in it, and we think we live and breathe in it, but it's God's and everything that's in it. Psalm 115, 16 says, The heavens 
are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth He has given to the sons of men. Okay, it's His. And you and I, as you will, the tenants of this earth, He has given it to us so that we might operate and live and breathe in it. Gave it to Adam, and it was His to cultivate. And because of His sin, that cultivation of that earth began to be much more difficult at the sweat of His brow. The earth in general is a place of habitation, and it is also a place of service to the one who created and gave it to us. Acts 17.26 tells us that He made from one of every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So in other words, the common grace is He gives to us all a specific time and a specific place. In my life, I've lived in five different states in the United States. I've had five different driver's licenses. I've paid five different state taxes. I've been those things, those places, those boundaries, if you were, were determined by God. How long I lived in each state was determined by God. When I moved, was determined by God. He did all those things. And ultimately, my habitation from my birth until my death is determined by God. It's a common mercy we all have. The fact that you are alive and breathe like every other living, breathing thing on this earth is by God's grace. The second doctrine that we understand that God the giver is He is a continuance of His provision. Our prayer is said, give us this day, just this day, and then that daily bread. Without God, we could not keep our comforts for one day. The comforts that you enjoy, the things that you do, you could not keep them for one day if they were, if it were not for God. Job understood this. In Job chapter 1, verse 12, Satan asked God for the power to remove Job's comforts. It says, quite simply, behold, the Lord said, Satan, all that he has is in your power to do, <coughs> excuse me, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Satan came and petitioned the Lord, nobody loves you. He said, have you concerned Job? So, well, Job's got all the comforts in the world. Take those away and Job will curse you. And God gave Satan the permission. Every comfort we have, one comes from God, and as long as we have that comfort, is determined by God. He is the giver of these things. He is the giver of the trial. He's the giver of the comfort. Everything you have every day. Our life is to be continued by the indulgence of God and His providential influence and support in your life. Nothing comes into your life in the fact that God gave it to you. How can you complain about anything in your life? Hebrews 1.3 says, He upholds all things by the word of His power. This is radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power. And when He has made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Everything is held together in this world by the, the power of His word. Now, if we go back to Job in Job chapter 12, verse 10, He says, In whose hand is the life of everything? and the breath of all mankind. Your life and all that is in it is held by His hand. And if God were to let loose, everything would disappear. Every comfort we have are continued to us and by us through God. That's what happens. Everything. Think about it, if you will. One day, Job's got up, rich man, big family, all kinds of things going on. He's a wonderful man of influence. The guy comes running up and says, hey, Job, devastation. And before he's done talking about devastation, he says, hey, Job, utter sorrow. And before that guy's talking about utter sorrow, the next guy comes up. In a matter of 15 minutes, without even full explanation, his entire world life has changed. Gone. You think Job got up that morning and said, give us this day our daily bread, and had no clue what that meant. 
and the provisions of God for that day. However, the reality is those were given to him, permission was given by God for these things to happen. We tend to want to think, and of course, we just live in this incredible, comfort, amazing society. But we have all kinds of things. The things we talk about with regard to provisions are going to talk about completely different in India. It's the nature of where we are and what's going on. And so we tend to think of things in the gaining and the lossing of comfort, not the gaining and loss of something else. But everything that is provided for you each day, whatever that day brings, is given to you by the God, the giver. And that was your daily provision for this day. And he will sustain you through, as he did Job, through that day and the next day and the next day and the next day. He is the giver of these things. The third understanding of the doctrine is that not only is the common mercy... Not only is it that, not only is it the continuance of the provision or the lack of provision, we also find that the use of that provision is seen. How do we find the use of that provision? Well, first of all, we understand that we ask God for them. The use of provision. Lord, please provide for me today. Fathers, if you're here today, I don't know how you get through the day without praying that prayer. I have a wife, I have children, I provide. Yes, I'm going to work. Yes, I'm going to work hard. Yes, a laborer's worth is higher. All those things are true, but I understand that the fact I have a job and all those things are there and that provision is from your hand. We ask. We ask God to give daily. Lord, supply to me this day all I need. Now let me, let me try to illustrate this. <coughs> a child comes and says, may I have a cookie? Or a child doesn't come and ask that. He just goes to the pantry and helps himself. All right? There's two ways that child can go about it. Now, in training your child, you train them to ask. Why? Because the pantry is not the child's pantry. Right? Two, the child ultimately doesn't rule his own life, or should not rule his own life. Also, the one ruling the child's life has a bigger context about whether a cookie is at the right time, the right place, and the right quantity of those cookies. Because someone, mom, dad, understand the greater need the greater provision, sometimes it's a cookie out of grace, sometimes it's a cookie out of necessity, sometimes it's no cookie out of grace and out of necessity. Because there is someone wiser who understands the greater that is going on. And thus, it requires that one to know that. You cannot necessarily go to the pantry on your own. Now, whether a cookie is given or the cookie is not given, the one who gives the permission to have the cookie is still good. It doesn't mean that the mom or the dad who refused a cookie is bad because he said no cookie. It doesn't mean that they're better because they said, yes, you may have a cookie. It's still the same amount of goodness. It's the wisdom that was applied to the provision of the cookie. Now, you as you pray, give us this day our daily bread. Whether you have a lot of bread or no bread, or maybe somebody threw a ribeye in there, right? The reality of it is no greater or lesser with regard to the goodness of the one who provided. Sometimes we can begin to be soured on that. I can't tell you how many times in the last couple of years I've had people come up to me and say, you know, if I was going through what you're going through, I'd be mad at God. Your wife has ALS, you're watching her just ALS away, for lack of a better term. I, I would just be so angry with God. And I, 
I, I just, every time I'm just kind of taken back. How, how, how can you honestly just say that out loud? Okay, maybe you could hold that in your heart, but don't you know God heard that? That God decided that this is what was best for your life and he gave it to you and you're just going to be mad at him? I, I've read too much of the prophets <laughs> to say that out loud. But that was a provision. Yes, you could look at it as a blessed chariot. Why? Because it's the provision of God and his choosing on how he was going to operate your life. And your job is to glorify God in the provision that he gives you and the capability that that is. One, if you have that disease or a disease, you have the provision of a disease. If that happens to someone you love, you care for them, and that you ask that God would give you the grace <coughs> to carry out what He's given to you, and you ask then equally for the daily provision to do it in a way that honors His name. God is still good. He is the supreme Lord. It's His kingdom. It's His will in which I operate. Therefore, that provision is there. Supreme Lord in property and in your life and His dominion over it. <laughs> hey, guys, says in chapter 2, verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. We know that. Do we make that application? We know that. Do we make that application? Though God has disposed of comforts and placed them in our hands, and we have many of them, He retains a, a right and an interest in it. Yes, He's given you things and He's provided you things, but everything you have, He retains a right and an interest in everything you have. Whether it be a wife, a child, a husband, whether it be furniture, whether it be a car, he owns heaven, and He uses it to His will. He is giving you things, and you use it to His will and not your own. God owns the earth, and that which He has committed to the use of man, men will have to give an account and acknowledge His right in that. Okay? So we understand the use of these provisions. We ask God for them. The second thing is, we the ability to use the comforts. Now, we understand in Luke chapter 12, verse 22, God says, you fool, remember the parable of the barns? You fool, this very night of you, your soul is required, and now you will own what you have prepared. Build bigger barns, build bigger barns, or do I want to hoard things and wealth? You fool, your life is over. Now what? If what you've gained in life is taken away by death, then what you have hunted in this life was all wrong. If what you gained in this life is taken away by death, then what you have striven for and spent your life in it was all wrong. Therefore, you ask God for the daily provisions. You ask Him for the occasions to serve Him. You praise Him. You thank God for the past month, the past year, the provisions that are important, uh, that are, are given and appropriate for you, and you take all the past provisions, and you have more confidence in the provision for today. It differentiates us from the swine. It's the pigs who take their provision, and they bury their face in the mud, getting all they can and pushing everybody else out of their way where they're never lifting their heads to thank the provider. God gives out of His grace. God does not give to you out of remuneration. We, we have a hard time with that. Our life is so based on remuneration, right? Meritocracy. We hear that word all the time. We're all trying to earn something and merit something. and It's kind of how our society and our economy operates. It's not so with God. It's not so. With God, it's just grace. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve. He just gives. At whatever level, at whatever your state may be, 
Whether you have a lot or you don't have anything, whether, whether you have a spouse or don't have a spouse, or whether you have a big family or God has decided that maybe you shouldn't have children, or whatever the case may be, that is all given to you by God and His grace. It's not because you did something wrong or you didn't do something wrong. It's all given to you by the good hand of the Father and by His grace. doesn't mean you can't pray for these things. They're good prayers. You understand, He hears your heart. He knows these things, but we understand that everything is given out of grace. It's all mercy. We've learned nothing. And God is the giver of these things. Well, that's the doctrine. Let me, let me move us to the application, okay? The application. Well, one, if we cannot trust God for temporal things, how will we trust Him for eternal things? If you can't trust God for today's provision... How are you going to trust Him? You know, if you, if you think God's given you a raw deal, then you're going to be thinking heaven's not so great. Yeah, I got here, I kind of thought the streets would be a little golder. If you're not happy with the provision here, you're, how are you going to be happy with the provision? How are you going to be sure that there will be a provision? How will you be confident that the provision will one day come your way if you can't trust Him for today? It's easier to trust God for daily bread than eternal life. Listen, man, you are Christ's. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. If Christ purchased you, then he has had interest in maintaining you. Okay, if he, he bought you. It was a great price. It was expensive. You, you didn't come cheap. He has the interest in maintaining you in the daily provisions of your life. <coughs> I like pickups. And I buy them, I pay an inordinate amount of car money to, to drive around in a nice, comfortable pickup. And as a result of that, I maintain that pickup. I get oil changes. I wash it. I fix the brakes. Well, actually, I get a new one before I get brakes, but you know what I mean. When I go somewhere and park, I park a distance away. A little oversized vehicle. Oversized vehicles tend to get an inordinate amount of dings. So I tend to park away. And by the way, to the person who parked next to me, I noticed uh, walking up that you're far away. Thank you. Because I paid a great price for this, I, I, I want to maintain it. It's important to me. Oh, man, just take that to eternity level. Christ has paid a great price for you. He will maintain you. He has a vested interest in you. Christ's maintenance of you should confirm our faith and asking for and the provision of daily needs. God gives the greatest. He gives us the greatest. He's a, he's a merciful giver of grace. He also then gives us the lesser. The greatest is eternal life. He gives you eternal life. Well, if he's given us eternal life, will he not also give us the lesser, your daily things? Yeah. If he has died and paid the greatest price for heaven and eternity, he will surely take care of you today. Now, you may have to redefine what that looks like, right? You want to redefine what that looks like? Read some missionary biographies and look at how God provided for them daily and readjust your vision of what that should look like. Praying for the daily giving of God. Later in this chapter, Matthew chapter 6, you can look at it, verse 34 so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, that immediately follows what? Verse 33, seek ye first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So as we're seeking his kingdom, because we're praying for his kingdom, as we're submitting ourselves to his kingdom, because we're praying that his will would be done, we don't worry about tomorrow, and we don't worry about it'll care for itself. Each day has enough trouble. I I'm, I'm, I'm playing the long game, the eternally long game. That's the first application. The second application is place your confidence in God, not the lesser things. My confidence is God and in God, not the things of daily provision. Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his life's span? Oh, you can't. You can't. Our confidence is in the first cause, God. 
Our confidence is not in the second cause, daily comforts. In our society, we hear a lot of things, right? Part of it's our wealth and part of it's our health. We hold our health very, very high. No duh, right? We, we, We should. It's important. But it's never more important than God. So, if I may share from past experience here, understanding that God has brought this to And we were on a FaceTime call just a couple weeks ago with the, with the kids, and uh, I came up to some way, you know, so grateful for the decisions that were made in the last few days of Chris's life because, you know, I just think they were perfect and great and wonderful and have no whatever. I'm like, well, I, I, I have no guilt over the decisions that were made over those last few hours of her life and decisions that were made with regard to care and stuff like that. I, I don't know if I have confidence. I, I, I'm not looking to go back and remake a decision, but, you know, sometimes I sat in the last few weeks and thought, you know, if we'd have done this different, maybe she'd have opened her eyes one more time and I could have seen them. Or, or maybe in those last few hours, if we'd have done this a little bit different, you know, there had been some sort of a response. Or maybe I would have got one more. Again, I have no guilt over what's gone on and what took place. But you just kind of have this, this little bit of a longing and wondering about that. The reality is, I am confident that Chris's lifespan was exactly what God wanted that to be. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Place my confidence in God in that. My confidence is not in the decisions I made and how I made them. My confidence is this is what God had. The third thing is the danger of ingratitude. The danger of ingratitude. We never forget God then when He remembers us most. You know, the more blessed we are, the more likely we are to be ingrate, having grateful hearts. When we are blessed greatly, we tend to potentially grow less. When we're blessed fully, we tend to pray less. Our pantries are full and our bank accounts have cushions. We don't have to ask for daily provision. So the tendency is to not ask daily provision. Our lives are full. Blessings are there. We tend to perform less for the kingdom of God and His will. We, we find ourselves too busy with the lesser things, the second things, and we forget the first thing, the kingdom of God and His will. It forces us to remind ourselves of the goodness of being blessed and that everything comes from God, and they are by grace and mercy. Church has given me some time off and very much appreciated to have time to kind of run around and fill my life with things so I don't sit in a chair and (laughs) ponder my navel, if you will. But one thing I've been thinking a lot about is just how incredibly blessed God has given me a, a wonderful life. And no bitterness could ever come, but just the fact that I had a wonderful marriage for many years, and even though it's over way before I thought, and even though in my own planning I planned to die first, so I bought more life insurance for me than I bought for her, right, all those silly things, I just continue to walk away thinking how blessed I am and how blessed I have been by God. And Knowing that in the back of my mind for most of my life, but knowing it very much in the forefront of my mind now. And I cannot think of anything in my life that has not been given to me by God, the great giver that hasn't been an absolute blessing, including ALS. I love the fact, and I understand how I'm saying this, okay? I'm not saying this flippantly or... But I love the fact that God gave my wife ALS. Now, don't get me wrong, I would have much rather had ALS than her. Just because I love her and it was, it's, ALS is brutal. But I love that. I love it because I believe His glory was shown properly and loudly. I believe that many people had to deal with things in a relationship with God that they didn't. I believe that 
It caused people to rethink many things. I believe His will was done in that. As a pastor, as I sat the last two years with various people in our church who had cancer, and they would run to the doctor, and we're going to fix it with a surgery, and then we're going to take a scan. Oh, now we're going to fix it here. Now you got to run to Houston, or you got to run over here, and, and they're living from scan to scan. And it's, I'm cancer-free. Oh, the cancer's back. I'm, can I'm thinking to myself, I don't, we're not living on this yo-yo of doctor visits and tests and scans. It's, it's, just, it's just there. I mean, again, to say, I, I, I don't want your child. I want mine. It's kind of weird to say that out loud, but that's true, right? Now, all those cancer people are still alive. But that's, and they look at me and they're like, I, I wouldn't want ALS. It's, it's quite simply a death sentence. And I would never want ALS. I'd rather have cancer. Well, it's because that's the thing that God gave you. It's not just the circumstance of something. The circumstances are, are the lesser. It's the fact that this is what God gave you, and because this is what God gave you, this is what you want and you desire, and you know it's His will and His purpose for you in serving His kingdom. So I don't want your trial, and you don't want mine. But you do want your trial. I want the trial that God has for me. That's the way I rely on Him and trust, and I'm driven to prayer, and that's the trial He's given me to magnify Him the most in. A fourth application is do not abuse God's gifts. It's the warning of Jesus to the disciples as He tells them, be on guard that your hearts may not be weighted down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the worries of life. In Luke chapter 22, verse 34. The day and that day could come upon you suddenly like a trap. And for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth, but keep on the alert at all times praying in order that you may have the strength to escape these things that are about to take place and stand before the Son of Man. As you spend these provisions of God's gift on your life, you stand before God and give an account. The Lord's going to come to you and say, I gave you such grace. You were born in the United States. You lived in this amazing place. And you forgot me. And the lesser things became the greater things in your mind. Do your comforts serve to harden you in the love of this life, or do they serve to increase you in the love of the Lord who provides them? Well, the great cautionary tale for us is daily provision is always the story of manna. God gave them manna, He gave it to them every day, and anything that was left over would rot and stink. Got to believe that first week of manna, there's a lot of rotten and stinking, right? Who, who, it's here today. Is it going to be gone tomorrow? We've been hungry. We didn't have food. There's a lot of rotten and stinking. These guys would get up with the daily provision of God after a period of time, a period of time. And one day, the daily provision of God did not keep them from sin because one day they got up and they danced before a golden calf after they had a breakfast of manna. They would take a break of their worship, eat some manna, and they go back to worship the golden calf. Wow. They ate manna in the morning one day, and they got up and murmured against the provision of the leadership of Moses to the people. They got up one day and ate manna and said, I'm sick and tired of manna. I want some meat. I can kind of relate to that one. Just because they had the daily provision of God every day for 38 plus years did not guarantee them. The provision of God was right there in front of them and it did not necessarily change anything or much. God has given you so much. Seven things to think about. Pray every day. Pray every day. Give us this day. Give us this day and the daily provisions bread. Two, pray with others. Pray with others. Give us. Pray with your family. Pray with your friends. Give us this day. Number three, 
Be humbly grateful for the provision of that day. Don't grumble about the provision you didn't get. Be grateful for the provision you got. Number four, renew your dependence on God. You pray every day, give us this day, because it renews your dependence. You continually stand in need of the provision of God in your life. Number five, pray that the Lord would teach you moderation through daily provision. Number six, understand earthly uncertainty. You're not guaranteed today or tomorrow. Number seven, remind yourself that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. We got a lot of stuff. Don't you have a lot of stuff? We got a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm a minimalist. I like to get rid of stuff as fast as I can. I got friends who just like, they, don't, they can't. I'm, you know, here's a bolt. I might need that bolt someday. The threads are stripped. It does not work. I just one, throw the bolt. No, no, no. I might need that bolt. So, okay, fine. I realize that after I die, many of the things I have, my kids, they don't want all my taxidermy. I got a bunch of taxidermy. They don't. They're wonderful memories. I love looking at them. I play the time back through, the wonderful time. My kids, it's just it's taxidermy. Get rid of it. Sell it. Maybe I get 100 bucks out of a garage sale for it. I know they're going to do that. I'm trying to figure out a way to curse them in a will what they do. <laughs> but I know they are. You know, just days after Chris died, we, we began to take stuff of hers out. I don't need a blow dryer. I have no need for a curling iron and a, and a hair straightener thingy bajig. I don't need that stuff. I, we begin to go through those things, right? That you, we just have stuff. It's important now, and we use it. It's great. It's fine, but it's, it's tools and things and stuff. And what we need is Christ. And I want to become like Him. And so when I want to become like Him, I pray for the daily provision, and I am so grateful for the provision that He gives me in that day. May we be dependent people on a gracious God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. May your name be honored and glorified in our lives and what we do with the provision that you've given us. That idea of provision so often is thought of in the sense of food and things and stuff, but yet that provision equally is the provision of a spiritual growth and your word and your care for us. So grateful we can pray to a heavenly Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.